0: Welcome to The World in 10, the big news stories of the day explained and analyzed by The Times of London. Today with me, Lou Newton and Laura Cook.
1: Today we hear the reaction to the US airstrikes as they're described as new aggression against Iraq's sovereignty. That's the sound of U.S. airstrikes in Syria and Iraq yesterday. The strikes were in retaliation for last weekend's drone attack on an American base in Jordan that killed three U.S. soldiers. The U.S. Central Command confirmed they'd hit 85
0: targets in Syria and Iraq and they're all connected to Iran's Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps Quds Force and affiliated militia groups.
1: Many facilities were hit command and control operations centres, intelligence gathering hubs, arms and vehicle storages and areas focusing on logistics and munitions supplies. And it was a bigger attack than some had expected, according to Jim Townsend, a former US Deputy Secretary of Defence.
2: Instead of going after a handful of targets that were directly related to the militia that did the attack, they spread these attacks across a number of militias including the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps. We've hit them before, but this was a step up from the militias themselves. This is the more of the elite. They come from Iran. Uh, it's something that shows a higher level of strike. And also, frankly, uh, flying bombers, the B-1B bomber, Lancer bomber, flying from the United States, air-to-air refueling along the way, dropping the bombs, and then going back. That's, that shows that we're spreading both the munitions as well as how we're going to deliver them across a broader area and a higher level target. For this round, there's going to be multiple rounds, it looks like. But this is not what we have done in the past, where it's just been Tomahawk missiles uh, fired from surface vessels offshore. This is a bigger, more elaborate strike.
0: The US took close to a week to respond after their bases were hit in Jordan and that's come under some criticism. But Jim says the US will have been using that time to factor in intelligence, weather and deterrence, balancing how to tell these groups they need to back off, but not wanting to create a catalyst for an all-out war.
2: It's a balance. We don't want to get into a Middle East war. We don't want to be sucked into that. Uh, We've been there before. There's no great love to want to go back on the ground or get into a a land war, particularly with Iran in the Middle East. And we understand that Iran doesn't want to do that either. You know, when when will deterrence actually work? We don't know, but I think we're going to be testing that and we'll just see.
1: These strikes weren't on Iran. It was Iranian proxies and militia groups. And there's been no significant names killed. This is leading some wondering if the US tactically waited a week to do such a big attack because they wanted to make a statement but didn't want to start an all-out war. Samer al the Times Middle East correspondent, says the US spent last week voicing its plans to retaliate and that probably was intentional.
2: Well, they, they certainly telegraphed uh, the strikes over several days. Um, I do think uh, that was intentional um if, if they had wanted to go for high value targets uh they would have probably not telegraphed the strikes as much so by the time that they actually conducted the strikes, much of these sites were apparently empty leaders and senior militants with these groups had gone to hiding or or gone gone to Iran or gone underground we have no reports of any high value targets of senior leaders killed and whether that was intentional um, or whether it was because they had time to vacate, uh, that's that's still unclear.
0: And last night's strikes are not a one-off. They're likely to be the first of several against Iran-backed militia groups operating in the Middle East, threatening what some in Washington fear could spark something much, much bigger. Northern Ireland now, and a lengthy list of issues facing the power sharing
1: government, which is meeting for the first time in two years. The list that the First Minister will need to address has grown following the prolonged absence. And for the first time, an Irish nationalist will take the role of First Minister, Sinn Féin's Michelle O'Neill. Brian Rowan is a former correspondent in Northern Ireland and author on the peace process. And he says the time away will make starting again tricky.
2: Politics has struggled in the peace. And every time we're in one of these standoffs at, at Stormont, The past becomes the bricks that are thrown in the political glasshouses. So if simply we're going to cheer today because we've got Stormont back, that's not good enough. Uh, And I think we need to look for some higher achievement, something more than another start in that stop-start routine that we have to our politics.
0: The return of Stormont brings an end to the Democratic Unionist Party's boycott of the Assembly over concerns about post-Brexit divergence from the
1: rest of the UK. Four key issues exist. First off, a crumbling health service. People in Northern Ireland wait significantly longer for treatment than in other parts of the UK. Next comes sorting out the public sector pay dispute. Last month, more than 170,000 public sector workers went on strike. That was the largest industrial action in Northern Ireland since 1974.
0: And the list goes on. Economic opportunities need to be explored. Northern Ireland has been heralded as the world's most exciting economic zone. And then navigating the power sharing with a Sinn Féin First Minister. This is the first time in history a Republican politician will take up that position.
1: And Kate Nicholl is an Assembly member for the Alliance Party and explains more about what their hopes are. It is outrageous that one political party can collapse everything when they choose to and so you have this hanging over you um, the whole time so we really uh, want to see legislation um, from Westminster uh, and um, we've been engaging with the Irish government as well to reform the institutions because our public services are crumbling and we need stability, we need functioning government and removing the veto is very important.
0: Eyes will obviously be on developments over the coming months and money will be forthcoming too to help the process £3.3 billion has been promised by Westminster once the Assembly is
1: up and running. The Kardashians, Beyonce, JLo, Lady Gaga, some of the biggest stars in the world and all of whom are fans of the dress brand House of CB. You've probably seen the brand
0: tagged all over millennial women's Instagrams or heard of friends who forked out for one of the sellout designs. The brand is everywhere at the moment. Their dresses are in high demand globally. They regularly sell out. They've got over 4 million Instagram followers. Business is booming.
1: But this brand has humble beginnings. It was first launched on eBay by a 17-year-old girl with a £3,000 loan from her parents, who taught her the values of business by raising her on their second-hand East London market stall. And you can read more about Connor Walker creating her £200 million business on The Times website now.
0: Tomorrow on The World in 10, we're going to bring you the story of a murder... But it's not like most murders. The Times' crime editor, Ben Ellery, explains.
2: Miriam Mackay was the wife of a uh, newspaper executive, Alec Mackay, who was the the right-hand man of um, of Rupert Murdoch. And uh, very tragically, she was mistaken. For the the wife of Rupert Murdoch by uh, two brothers who kidnapped her from her home in uh, Wimbledon in southwest London and had planned to ransom her for for one million pounds but when they realized that um, they'd taken the wrong woman the plans fell apart.
1: Her daughter has traveled across the world to meet one of the men who killed her mother. Ben Ellery went with her and tomorrow he'll tell us what happened now with
0: today's sports story we're going to take you back a little bit in the history books and also give you a great pub quiz question what did the canadian men's ice hockey team achieve on february 5th 1924 that has not happened in the subsequent century nor will again unless there is a sudden ice age
1: It's not an easy question, but this is what we're giving you. This coming week will mark a century since the Canadian ice hockey team won gold at the Winter Games to defend their Summer Olympics title. In a lovely glimpse back in time, Patrick Kidd explains what happened in that first Winter Games held a century ago in Chamonix in France with 250 athletes competing in 16 events. Go online now to take a look.
0: And that's all we have time for today. Thank you for taking 10 minutes to stay on top of the world with the help of The Times of London. See you tomorrow.